There we go. Welcome to the Tuesday night Bible study. Thank you for being here. We've got um, some people here in the church as well, and all of you on Zoom. Um, we are going to pray first, as we always do. If you have a prayer request, you can always email me, uh, pray for my sister or whoever, or myself or whatever, and I'll add you to the list. Got a, maybe 18 or so requests here, so we're going to pray for those, and then we'll study John 6 is where we're going to be, so grab a Bible um, for that. What else do I have to tell you announcement-wise? I think that's it, but you can email a question afterwards if you have one, or... Um, a comment or an argument or whatever you want to do. Um, anyway, bow your heads with me and uh, let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you for being here with us. We love you. We worship you, God. We give you the praise and the glory for every gift you've given us. Every blessing is a gift from you. And we seek your will even over our own wills. We ask that you'd lead us and um, bless our time in your word tonight and make it come alive as you do on Tuesday nights. We thank you that this fire we prayed for a week ago is pretty much out. And uh, so thank thankful for that and uh, ask that you'd protect our area from fires and other natural disasters. And uh, thank you for those firefighters. We pray for so many in our group here and uh, around the country that have cancer. And we lift up Jeffrey. Uh, in Houston, and we ask for strengthening of his immune system and continued healing. We pray for John Lehman for the same thing, strengthening and, and healing, and that you'd encourage him as well. And we pray for Mark over in Campbell uh, battling lung cancer, and we ask for his uh, cancer to go into remission and be healed. And we pray that you would be drawing him closer to your son, Jesus Christ. We pray for Inez, the little five-year-old girl with cancer, and we're so thankful that Things are looking up for her, total miracle, and we just pray you can continue to uh, strengthen her and uh, check off the boxes, as her parents said in, a, in an email. We pray for Tom Freeman for continued uh, healing and strengthening as he battles cancer and that the immune therapy would continue to work. We pray also for a JD uh, for strength and balance and also uh, just continued healing. We're thankful that his surgery went so well. For Annette with pancreatic cancer, as she requests, we pray for uh, miracle healing. God, that's what it would take. But either way, we ask that your perfect will would be done. We thank you um, that she knows you. And Ken McCool with two types of cancer, having moved up north now, we pray for healing in his body as well and strengthening God and be with Darla. We pray for Jerry, who's uh, about to or maybe just started uh, radiation. We pray that you would... Uh, Continue to strengthen her and heal her body, God, and let them get it all and uh, that it be in remission. And Kathy, who's in, uh, oh, sorry, Kathy, who has passed on now, that, that was last week's prayer. We lift her uh, uh, family up to you, especially Chris, her husband, just having a tough time, God. And I, I praise you that she's home with you. And I pray that he would be uh, just encouraged and that you would uh, fill that void in his life that her absence is going to make happen. And then the other request, we pray for Pastor Bob here, who is healing from a fall and a broken leg and a hip replacement. And we pray that you'd encourage him and uh, give great wisdom to him. We pray for Debbie Gerber. Now that Greg Gerber has passed away on Sunday, uh, early in the morning, we pray for your spirit to just comfort her, God, with a tough thing. And uh, again, we thank you that he's in heaven with you, which is awesome. We pray that you would fill the 
that void in her life that he leaves behind for three marriages that need healing and forgiveness and a coming together in this uh, church and in this group. We pray that your spirit would be moving for humility and forgiveness and even a little bit of amnesia in those marriages. We pray for Anthony for this key hearing coming up that the truth would come out and that he would be acquitted of the charges and, um, and that he'd be drawn closer to you as well through it all, Father. And we pray for Ty for peace and, and uh, in anxiety and that he would just be comforted by the knowledge of your son, Jesus, and his presence right there in, his, in your life. Um, and we pray for uh, Kristen as well, for that same kind of peace that passes understanding, God, that you would give her a calm spirit. And lastly, for Joyce Gertson, who's had a major fall and had to have surgery while in uh, Colorado on her leg. And we just pray for healing for her and strengthening and that her daughter would figure out how she's going to get her back to uh, Fresno area for uh, rehab and all of that, God. Now, Father, thank you for hearing our prayers, Lord. We know you knew them already, but it's comforting to say them and know that you hear them and then watch the answers come. Now, as we study your word, Father, we pray that your spirit would speak and lead and that each one here would grow uh, in the knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ, and that we'd live it out, Father. Let your spirit do the leading and the teaching now, and we give you thanks and pray all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And welcome to the Tuesday night Bible study. We are going to uh, be studying John chapter six. So open your Bibles, if you will, to John six. We left off right around verse 21, I'm going to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 22, really. But we do a little review here as, as we uh, start each class. So I'm going to do that as well. One quick correction. I said something two weeks ago that I, I've been meaning to correct and I forgot last week because I'm old. Two weeks ago, we were talking about living your life for an audience of one, not peer pressure, not your friends, not your family, not your boss. As important as those people are living your life for an audience of one being God being the one. We started talking about music for a second. And I mentioned that my daughter has an incredible ear. She has what's called perfect pitch. She can hear a bell or a horn and tell you that's a C sharp or a B flat or whatever. Anyway, I said that she it goes to concerts and can hear every little mistake. And it sort of sounded like she's like the picky type that goes around. Oh, mistake there ain't wrong, you know, and she really doesn't do that at all. The truth is the one that she's very critical of is herself, you know, just kind of uh, wanting to do the best job that she can. But anyway, uh, thought I'd just correct that as well. Okay, backstory for John. Where we are time-wise in the gospel of John is it's about a year from the cross uh, as we're reading what we're reading. This is a long chapter, about 70 verses, really, really long. And it's a lot Jesus talking and interacting with people that are, for the most part, what I'm going to call defectors. They're following, but they're going to split. Verse 66 says a lot of them go, no thanks. So next week, we're going to talk about defectors and the characteristics that they have. But for now, um, what happened in this chapter is Jesus just had a crowd of, of 5,000 men. When you add in the women, you add in the children, it's 15, 20, maybe even 25,000 people on a mountainside. And he 
um, it's getting late and there's no food. So uh, he asks one of the disciples, what should we do? And the disciples suggest send the people away in another gospel, but there comes forward a little kid that's got five little loaves and they're really like little dinner biscuits, but much thinner, almost the size of like a chocolate chip cookie, a smaller one, and uh, some fish, two fish. He donates his lunch. Jesus multiplies it greatly. And everybody has their fill. And they even pick up 12 baskets full, big baskets of leftovers so that nothing will be wasted. The lesson there is the ones that served also fed, were fed and had extra. Everybody ate and was blessed by Jesus's bread. I'm accenting that word because that'll come up later in this chapter, the bread. Um, let's see. When you donate to God your time, your talent, your treasure, whatever you have, even a little, God can multiply it and use it in great ways. Don't ever think, well, I'm insignificant. And the little boy was insignificant. I don't have much to give. The little boy had very little to give for a crowd of 20,000 or so. He gave it anyway. Jesus brought the increase. That's, that's part of the lesson there. Each thing that Jesus does that's a miracle, we've been saying, is a, he calls it this, a sign. Signs point to something. You can see what happened, but if you don't see what it's pointing to, what it's a sign to, uh, some aspect of who he is, then you miss the point. We're going to see that, obviously, he has to be God to be able to multiply loaves and fish to that degree, um, but they miss it. We're going to see the contrast between the spiritual and the physical material stuff as well. Um, and the last thing I want to tell you that we're going to see is the bread of life and the shocking way that we get it. It's not what most people think. Let's dive in. Those of you that are here in the church, so I know you're awake, say amen. amen. Oh, that was a good one. It's going to be a good night. Everybody's awake for now. Those of you on Zoom, wave or say amen. I can't hear you, but I'm sure you're, I see you there, Dr. Phil. Okay, let's dive in. Um, what happens after that is verse 16. Evening comes, his disciples get, go down to the lake. Jesus makes them get in the boat, we learn from another gospel. Um, they set, a, set away on the lake of uh, Sea of Galilee. It's actually more like a lake. They're heading for Capernaum across the lake, which is his headquarters while he's ministering in Galilee. It's dark. Jesus hadn't joined them. Verse 17, verse 18, a strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. We covered this last week. These are experienced fishermen, some of the disciples, and yet this is crazy wind and whipping the waves and um, they're fearful and they're straining at the oars, Mark says in his gospel, telling the same story. So uh, when, they, when they had rowed, verse 19, about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. That's kind of a duh, right? Wouldn't you be frightened? Like, what is that? He's the God of the universe. He created the lake. He wrote the laws of science, right? Including gravity, which keeps you and me from walking on water. I've tried it at the pool. It doesn't work. But he can do it. He can suspend the laws whenever he wants. That's what a miracle is, a suspension, a suspension of the laws of science. So he comes walking on the water. They're afraid. He says to them, verse 20, don't be afraid. It is I. 
ego a me, I am, is really what he says. It's the divine name of God from Exodus chapter three. So then they're willing to take him into the boat. Um, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. So there's two miracles here. He walked on the water. In this gospel, John doesn't mention it, but Peter also walked on the water. Do you remember that? He asked, can I come out there to you? This is in the other gospels. Sure, come on. And he starts to walk out. You remember that? And then he sinks when he looks at the waves and his circumstances instead of keeping his eyes on Christ. The storm, the waves, the wind, the loud, scary storm is a metaphor for the storms that come into your life and mine, whether they're health issues or it's a relationship that's come apart or money problems, work problems, friend problems, whatever it may be, guilt, all those storms. The lesson is we keep our eyes on Christ and we walk above the storm and he does to us as well. He sees us throughout the storm. That's the other issue. So the second miracle is they're instantly where, where they were headed. Um, based on the geography of that lake, if they rode three or four miles, they're in the middle of the lake. There's no way it just sort of happened. He calms the storm and instantly there they are. It, we said last week that in the Psalm, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want or be in need, right? He makes me lie down in green pastures. We saw that in chapter six, when he makes everybody lay down on the grass so he can feed them the bread. The next phrase is, he leads me beside the still waters. Some have seen this as being related to what just happened. The, the stormy seas became calm waters and he led them right beside it to where he was, where they were headed. Verse 22, the very next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore, these are the ones that got fed with the free bread um, on the opposite shore of the lake, realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples and that they had gone away alone without him. So they're wondering, where is he? Verse 23, then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd, verse 24, realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. That sounds so good, but it's not. They're in search of Jesus. Isn't that what you want people to be searching for Jesus? It depends what they want. And these people don't want Jesus. They want his miracles. The miracles are the product. The miracles are done by a person. Christianity is unlike every other religion. Every other religion is a set of do's and don'ts. It's a philosophy. The Eightfold Path of Buddhism, the Five Pillars of Islam, the Ten Commandments, um, all of them are do, D-O. Christianity is all about a person, and the D-O, do, is done, D-O-N-E. He lived the perfect life you could never live and I could never live. He died the horrible death you and I deserve on the cross and offers you and I his perfect record in exchange for our sin, his gold for our garbage, if you will, right? Our guilt, our sin. It's an incredible deal. If I said, I'll give you dollar for dollar gold for all your garbage, wouldn't you be running home to the garbage cans? You'd be throwing stuff in the cans to make more garbage, right? 
it's an incredible uh, deal um, that you can't pass up. Verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, which means teacher, when did you get here? See, they understand that the disciples left in a boat and went across the lake. And he didn't. And that was the only boat that was there. So there's a little, did he jog around the lake all night long? How did you get here? It's really, when did you get here? How did you get here? They're shocked that he's there. So that's why they asked the question. The reason John includes this little, what seems insignificant detail is to show you that what was just stated, that they instantly were on the other shore and that he walked on the water, that there's no other possibility. It's confirming the miracle. Watch. When did you get here? Verse 26, Jesus answered. Notice he never answers the question, right? What's the answer? How did you get here? When did you get here? The truthful answer is, well, the disciples were in trouble in the middle of the lake, so I thought I better help them. I had my eye on them. So I walked on the water, which I created, and calmed the storm, and instantly we were where we were going. So we got here, you know, early morning. That's the truthful answer, right? He does not answer their question. When there's a sincere question, he always answers it. Jesus answered, verse 26, very truly I tell you, King James has verily, verily I say unto you, I've told you this again and again, Whenever you see those words, verily, verily, I say unto you, truly, truly, I tell you, that's the Bible's way of saying, Jesus's way of saying, listen up, this is really important. That's what he's doing. <clears throat> Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Kind of a weird answer, don't you think? They're asking, how did, when did you get here? They came seeking him, but he knows their hearts, right? He knows their motive is, we're going to see more free bread, more free stuff. Do another trick. But notice the way he says it. You are looking for me, he admits, and he's right. Not because you saw the signs I performed. But you would answer, it seems like, no, he's wrong. They are looking for him because they saw the signs. Listen, you know what they saw? The miracle of free bread and fish. Free, unbelievable meal. Well, that's a sign, Joe. Yes, but the sign points to the fact that he's God who can create out of nothing as much food as he wants. Did they see the miracle? Yes. Did they see the sign and what it pointed to? No. They're thinking very much in terms of the temporal, the temporary, the earthly, the physical world, as opposed to the spiritual. Okay. The physical world is going to burn everything. The temporal world, the temporary world goes on forever. Therefore, God and Christ both see the spiritual world as being way, way more important because it's eternal, right? So he says, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. They want more. You'll see them ask for that in a second. Watch. Verse 27. So piggybacking on that, you ate the bread, you had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, 
will give you. That's his favorite title for himself. It goes back to Daniel 7. It's a, a, a title for the Messiah. The Son of Man will give you. For on him, speaking of himself in the third person, on the Son of Man, on me, he's saying, Jesus, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. We're going to see in a second that when he says, don't work for food that spoils, they think he means food that will never get moldy or go bad. Strictly thinking physical world. Don't work for food that spoils. Oh, you have food that you can leave out on the counter for a month and it doesn't get moldy? Bring it on. They're just not thinking spiritually. Don't work for food that spoils. And by the way, he's not, work, he's not talking about quitting your job you work and you earn money and you do buy food that spoils if you leave it out, right? He's not saying that. He's saying that shouldn't be your goal. The main thing isn't getting your stomach full. It's getting your heart and your soul, your spirit full. Don't work for food that spoils, verse 27, but for the food that endures lasts for eternal life. In other words, that lasts forever, which I, the Son of Man, Christ, will give you. Notice the word give. Why are you mentioning that, Joe? Because give implies a gift. It's not the, the food that you're going to work for that I will pay you with, right? You earn it. You deserve it. Instead, it's the food that the Son of Man will give you that endures all the way to eternal life, some kind of food that will give people eternal life. He's trying to get their attention and make them think. Do you remember, you've probably heard the term that people have searched for the fountain of youth, right? Where you live forever. Okay. That's the stuff of, you know, myths and legends. This is real. The Son of Man will give you, for on him, on the Son of Man, talking about himself, God the Father has placed his seal of approval is not in the original, has placed his seal. Now, seals had the idea of authenticity, the idea of ownership. God the Father owns him as his son. God is authenticating Jesus's um, mission to do miracles, to get people to believe in him and what have you. God the Father approves of him and gives him the authority to speak and act on planet earth. Don't work for the food that spoils. It's fine to work at your job and get money and all that, but your goal ought to be whatever this food is, it's still nebulous at this point, that doesn't spoil, doesn't go bad, and will last, endures all the way to eternal life. Now, if I say how long is that good for? And you say for eternity, it means it never spoils, right? It's good forever. So this is the dialogue. This part, we are talking more the physical realm. He's not, they are. Watch. Then they asked him, verse 28, what must we, what must we do to do the works God requires? Okay. Now, there's two schools of thought on this verse. Most people believe, most scholars believe what he's talking about is the Jews have God's law, capital L, the law of Moses, right? The Ten Commandments, all the commandments in Judaism, okay? They believe that by keeping the law, 
they could earn eternal life, earn God's favor to where God would owe them because, oh, you're being such good Jewish people. I owe you now. But the truth is, you can't keep the law. Who is sinless except Jesus Christ? No one. Romans 3 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the truth is, the Jews should have realized we can't keep the law. Therefore, we need a savior to keep the law for us, which is what he does. So they ask, what must, must we do to do the work God requires? We want to work for this bread, but we want to earn it. So what do we have to do? Just tell us and we'll do it. They're assuming they can. They're able to do it, right? And they can't. But he's not even going to go in that direction. The other school of thought on this, which I think has merit, John MacArthur's among the scholars that believes this, is read the question again. What must we do to do the works God requires? Remember I said earlier, all the other religions are D-O right? Do. What do I have to do to earn? We want, there's something in mankind that wants to earn God's favor, right? If I'm good, God will owe me. He'll have to bless me. And no one can be good enough, right? To earn God's favor. The other school of thought is this. What they're really asking is, we've seen that you're doing the works of God. This multiplying the, the loaves and the fish, that's pretty incredible. Teach us how to do that. So we can do it for ourselves. How can we do those same works? Is there some magic incantation? Is there a secret decoder ring we need? How did you do that? Teach us how to do it. In the book of Acts, the apostles encounter a guy named Simon. Do you remember this? Who's a magician and into the occult and weird stuff. He sees the miracles they're doing and, and offers to pay money. Give me the gift, whatever you guys have. For the Holy Spirit. And I think it's Peter says, may your, your silver perish with you. You need to go repent and pray for forgiveness, right? It's not something like that. They want personal power, okay? There's churches today that teach that sort of thing, that if you'll just say what you want, God has to give it to you. You can speak reality into your life. There's teachers, I've heard them, that say, speak to your wallet. Speak to your purse, ladies, and you can create wealth. Speak to your body, and you'll create health. There is someone in the Bible, in the book of Romans, who speaks and brings things into being. It's also in the book of Genesis, and it ain't you, and it ain't me. It's God, right? Better to ask God, right, than to think that you have the power. That's what I believe they're asking. Show us how we can, what, what do we have to do to work the do the works God requires. So Jesus answers, verse 29, the work of God is this, drum roll, brrr, to believe in the one he has sent. You say, believe? You mean like just faith? That's not a work. You're right, it's not. What God wants is for you to believe. Do you know why? Because there's no work he could prescribe for us to do that we could go do it. And some of us would go, I, I made it. I did it. God owes me now. Forget it. Right? By the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. That's written by Paul. How many of you know, of course you all do, medically, you got a problem, you go get an x-ray, right? The law is an x-ray. 
That's all it is. All the law does is show us that we can't live up to God's perfect conduct he expects. Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect in the Sermon on the Mount. You know why he says that? So they'll realize, oh, wait a minute. That's impossible. And Jesus will go, finally, you're starting to get it. You need a savior. Be perfect. What? Back to the x-ray. You go to the doctor and he says, Mr. Sharino, we have this x-ray and you have a broken bone here. You have a growth here, whatever it may be, right? Does that x-ray make you well? Maybe if you eat it, if I sleep under my pillow with the x-ray there. No, all it does is make you aware of the problem. That's what the New Testament says about God's law. All those laws are so that we'll realize we need a sacrifice. That's what the Jews had, right? Sacrifice a lamb, Passover, a lamb for this, uh, a goat for that, a turtle dove bird for this, always a sacrifice, the shedding of blood. Jesus fulfills all of that with one sacrifice on a cross about a year from when we're hearing him say this. So the x-ray isn't the cure. The cure comes when the doctor says what we can do is this, right? But Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be changed, born again, remember? And Nicodemus thinking in the physical realm, what does he say? Can a man enter his mother's womb a second time? Jesus must have went, no, (laughs) I'm not talking physically. I'm talking spiritually, born from above, born from God. People are dead in their trespasses and sins. The unsaved world, when you and I were not believers, listen, we weren't sick spiritually, we were Ephesians 2, verse 1, dead in our trespasses and sins. That's why we have to be born again. That's going to come up again in a second. Okay, so Jesus says, you want to know what you're supposed to do? Believe in the one he sent. He means himself. That's all you have to do is believe. He has lived the perfect life, died the death you deserve. When you believe in him, that all gets accredited to your account. Okay, but what about good works? Doesn't God care what our conduct is after we're born again? He totally does. Okay, so what what kind of good works are we talking about? Positive and negative. You say negative good works? Positive good works, doing good things, being generous, being loving to people, um, befriending those who don't have friends, visiting people in the hospital, helping at the church, whatever it may be, good works, positive, negative, good works, kind of a weird name, right? Not doing the things you used to do, drugs, alcohol, illicit sex, pornography, stealing, lying, cheating, you name it, everybody's got a different brand of sin. Let's start at the back and hear hear what each one is. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I should go first, right? You got about an hour. The point is the negative good works are the ceasing or at least the great effort to cease doing those things God doesn't want us to do that the Bible says are sin. You got the picture? Those good works are important, but they're not meritorious. You say, I didn't go to Stanford. What's meritorious? It doesn't have merit. In other words, doing good things, God wants us to do them, right? He gives us good works to do. He wants us to abstain from sinful things. Yes, but don't do that thinking that's 42 points. When I get to 50, you owe me because it ain't going to work out that way. 
we don't, you can't do enough good works to pay for your own sin. Each good work is worth five cents, but you owe a hundred million dollars because of your sin. Forget it. You're never going to pay it off. So then why are we doing the good works? First of all, because God gives them to us to do and commands it. We don't do them to earn anything or deserve anything. We do it in gratitude for the unbelievable free gift he gave us of eternal life. Somebody gives you a gift that good, you want to please them, right? Okay, so the work is to just believe in Jesus Christ. Um, do I do this now or later? I'll introduce it now and we'll talk about it later. We've said in this Bible study that belief has three components, K-A-T, the wrong way to spell cat. Okay, K, knowledge. You need at least a basic knowledge of who and what Jesus is and does and rose from the dead, paid for our sins, perfect life, no sin, fully God and fully man in one body. Okay, and you need full, uh, you need at least a basic understanding of who and what you are, a sinful person that has no hope of, I'm just going to stop sinning on Thursday. Forget it. You won't even get to Thursday at noon. Um, and that we need a savior. So there's knowledge. Then there's agreement that the knowledge is true. You could have the, the knowledge and go, yeah, I understand Christianity now, but I just, I don't agree. Knowledge, K, A, agreement, T, trust. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's the real belief where you're trusting in that and that alone for your salvation. What will come from that is the kind of faith that produces good works, not to earn salvation, not to deserve it, but because you're so grateful, you want to do something unbelievable uh, for God, for his glory, not to do this. Pat yourself on the back. Okay. Believe in the one he sent. By the way, you're here. You're here on Zoom. You probably do already, right? So we're going to find out how you got here, and it's going to shock some of you, I have a feeling, but not yet. Um, verse 30. So he says, believe in the one he has sent. Verse 30. So they went home and all became Christians. Eh, wrong. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors, they mean the other Jews, back in the time of Moses, our ancestors, verse 31, ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now you remember the Jews are wandering in the desert, in the wilderness. They're hungry. They're complaining. God, Moses goes to God and says, they're hungry. What do I do? God says, don't worry. I, God, will rain bread, basically manna, down from heaven every night. And in the morning, they can, they can gather some and eat. It was small, round, sweet. It came at night. We'll get to those characteristics in a second. It was bread from heaven, a miracle. How many times did, did that happen? Over and over and over again for 40 years years every day. Got the picture? Pretty amazing. If you read the story in Exodus, what do you find? It doesn't take long. They're complaining. Oi, the same food again. How about a sandwich or some fruit, right? They're complaining in no time instead of being thankful. 
Okay, there's symbolism here. I've told you before, almost everything in the Old Testament in some way or another relates to Jesus Christ. Chapter 5, verse 39 of this gospel says, Jesus talking to the religious leaders, you search the Old Testament scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. But it's those same scriptures that speak of me. He's saying, I'm on every page if you know where to look. You know that manna thing? That's me. I'm the bread from heaven. I'm giving it away now, aren't I? Um, okay, so back to the text here so Joe can get back on track. What are they doing in verse 30? We want another miracle. Show me someone that has sign, faith, faith because of miracles. I'll show you somebody that needs to see it again. Once more, do it again. What they're really asking for is, yeah, yesterday you multiplied those loaves and those fish. That's pretty good. 25,000 of us ate until we were full. But that was one day. Moses, years and years, every day, except Saturday. Remember, there was no food on the Sabbath. You collect for two days. We won't go into that now. Do a bigger miracle. Give us free bread forever. Not thinking spiritually. I'm just trying to feed my family. I bet everybody here, if every store in the universe closed right now, you have enough food in your house to last a few weeks, if not a month, I'm guessing, right? Between the fridge, the freezer, the cabinets, you could find stuff. Not true in this era, okay? Pantries weren't around that long ago. You know, I got the freezer out in the garage. They didn't have a freezer, right? So food to them was a big deal. Sustenance every day, God providing, do a bigger miracle. What did he just say? The food, uh, let's see, work for the food. Believe in the one that the work of God is this. Believe in the one he sent. Well, what sign are you going to give us, verse 30, so that we can see it and believe in you? What do they want? They want what's on the master's table instead of the master who's sitting at the table, right? Do a bigger miracle. We're here for the food. We heard about the free food. We saw it yesterday. Then they mention Moses. And there's a big connection in this whole chapter to Moses. Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Um, so what they're implying is that Moses gave them bread, okay? Where Exodus and two other places in the Old Testament, it's clearly stated, it's God that's giving it. Moses is the go-between. God makes it rain, Mos food. Moses doesn't do that. Verse 32, Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, there it is again. It's not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. Making a distinction. It wasn't, I just want to correct you people. He's saying it wasn't Moses. It was God. It was totally God giving you bread from heaven. Heaven where God lives. Okay. So it's not Moses, it's God. It's not The answer is not in a man, the answer is in God. That's number one. But it is my father who gives you the true bread. He's accenting that word, altheos in Greek. It means genuine. 
which is implying that the manna wasn't as true as the bread from heaven that the father gives. You say, what kind of bread is it? French bread, sourdough, hamburger loaves? You know, what do you got? It's him, right? I'm already hinting at what he's about to say. He is the fulfillment of the manna. Now, manna fell down. By the word, by the way, the word manna in Hebrew is the word for, because they didn't know what it was. So do you know what they named it? Manna. Do you know what manna means? What is it? That's what it means. What is it? I don't know. Are we going to eat the what is it tomorrow? That's what manna means in Hebrew. What is it? The manna was white. Jesus has total purity. The manna was round. Jesus is eternal, not having a beginning or an end. The manna was a miracle. So is Jesus becoming a man, having lived in heaven forever before. The manna came at night at a time of darkness. They're in spiritual darkness. All kinds of parallels we won't go into now, but we may later if the teacher remembers. What sign will you give us? What are you going to do? The ancestors ate manna. We want another sign. My father gives you the true bread from heaven. Verse 33. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven. New hint and gives life to the world. Gives life. You say, well, the bread sort of gave the Jews life. Yes, physical life. He's not talking about physical life, is he? Jesus doesn't give physical life. He gives spiritual life that lasts forever, eternal life. So he's saying that the bread that Moses gave was great. It was a miracle. They should have been thankful. They weren't. The bread of God, let's read that verse again. The bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven. Don't miss that. That implies pre-existence. You say, I don't see that. The bread that comes down from heaven. He's saying, you know where I used to be? Yeah, a little baby in Bethlehem. No, before that, I was in heaven. That's what he's saying. I'm the bread that comes down from heaven. That was where I lived. John 1, 1 in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was forever in the past with God in heaven. He came down. Okay. And what does the bread of God do? He's still hinting. He hasn't said it's me yet. It gives life to the world. God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. You know all that. Does that mean everybody gets saved? He gives life to the world. No, but what it does mean is that all who believe, that's the order, the one commandment, really, believe in the one he sent, Jesus Christ. What if it's hard to believe? Believe anyway. And when you do, you receive life, eternal life, born again. Okay, why does it say the world there if he doesn't mean the whole world? It's sort of a hyperbole. He's talking to Jews who think we're the only ones that are saved. We're the chosen people, the Gentiles. They have a name for all non-Jews. They're on the outside. They're pagans. The gospel ends up going to Gentiles as well as Jewish people. But it's Jews who are listening at this point. So he says the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. What are they thinking? physical bread, wonder bread, if I may, right? Maybe it'll be loaves this time instead of those little round things. Verse 34, sir, they said, give us this bread always, always give it, bring it on forever. We want a subscription to that. 
What are they thinking? Spiritually, not at all, right? Physical stuff. Give us the physical stuff. Give us this bread always. So Jesus spells it out in verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger, never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Okay, he's using a metaphor. He's saying, I am the bread. You look at him, you go, you don't look like bread. You look like a man to me. I am the sim- what the symbol talks about, the manna. I'm it. I came from heaven, from God. I give true life. Whoever comes to me, listen to this, will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Notice the synonyms. Whoever comes to me, whoever believes in me. Two ways of saying the same thing. You come to him, you believe in him. When you do that, what does it say? You'll never go hungry. You'll never be thirsty. Does he mean physical hunger and physical thirst? No. Spiritually, remember we talked about a month ago about Blaise Pascal, famous Christian philosopher, mathematician. Um, He came up with this concept of that inside every human being, not visible with an x-ray or an MRI, but there's a hole. There's a vacuum. The God-shaped vacuum is in every human being. Everybody knows there's something missing. Well, what do they do about it? They try to fill it. For that guy, it's money. If I can just make more money, if I get the second million, the fifth million, a hundred million, billions, Bezos, right? The richest man in the world just is going into space. And if I can get enough money, I can fill the void. It never works. If I can just be famous, if I could just be better looking, if I could just get a bigger house and a better car, if I could get another PhD, maybe that would, if I could just win a medal in the Olympics, if I could get approval from enough people, crowds, nothing fills it. It's always empty. Only Jesus Christ, when he goes in there, does this, never hunger, never thirst. Since I came to Jesus Christ, I can honestly tell you, I have never looked for, maybe I should look again at Buddhism and Hinduism, and uh, I've never thirsted again spiritually. I've been thirsty if I work outside and go inside and have water. I've never been thirsty spiritually. He satisfies, listen, completely. He's about to show them that the bread that came down from heaven, as good as it was, only satisfied physically. He satisfies spiritually and forever. Therefore, it's much vastly better, right? Superior. I am the bread of life. By the way, this is the first of seven. By the way, the gospel of John, there's been whole books written about this, how many sevens there are in the gospel of John. I don't know whether it was intentional. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask John, did you have a calculator and seven of those? Let me find seven of the... Or was it a Holy Spirit thing? But there's seven I am statements. I'm the bread of life. I'm the gate. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the resurrection and the light. Remember all that? Um, And there's others. We'll go through the list in a second. This is the first one. I am the bread of life. We've said in this Bible study, the key thing is who is Jesus? He's telling you right here. What does bread and water represent to the people hearing this? Sustenance, being sustained. Keep me alive. 
He says, the real thing that will keep you alive spiritually is me. It's not a thing. It's a person. Christianity is about a person. Every other religion is a philosophy, do's and don'ts. Whoever believes, whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But verse 36, I told you, you have seen me and you still don't believe. It's a major indictment saying this. By the way, all of this takes place, we find out in, in a little while, in a synagogue where they allowed guest speakers and they're sort of interviewing him. He's preaching and they're extremely upset with what he's saying, claiming to be the bread that comes down from heaven. When they know he's a man, this is near his hometown of Galilee, where they know that's Joseph, Joe and Mary's kid, right? The oldest of the family. I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. There's an Old Testament scripture that says about the Jews that some of them will see and not see, hear and not hear. Do they hear his words? Yes. Do they understand him? No. Do they see him? And they, do they see the miracles and the signs? Yes. Do they understand what the signs point to? No, they don't even care. More food, free stuff. Do another trick. Do another miracle. You've seen me and still you don't believe. Okay. Now we're going to get into the first of several verses that explain. We'll just introduce this and we'll take our two-minute break. That explain how you got here. I don't mean where you are at home and where you are here. I mean... Some of you were Christian since you were little kids. <clears throat> Never remember a day when you weren't. Some of you were major sinners, far from being a Christian or going to church, and here you are. And the commonly held belief is, yes, I investigated Christianity. I'm very spiritual. I was smarter than a lot of those other people that are still out doing drugs and drinking, which I did, and I came to Jesus. And the truth is, that's not right. It turns out you were gift wrapped. You were a gift from God the Father to Jesus. Watch verse 37. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Say what? I want you to notice, it sounds like there's a group of people that are gods. And that's right. I'm going to show you in chapter 17, chapter 10, the same thing is said of this gospel. All those that the Father gives me will come to me. Let's say the number is 2,461,905 that were the fathers, and he gave them to Jesus. That's how you got here. How many of those, 4 billion, whatever the number, I forgot the number I said now, how many of those will come? What percentage? 100. All those the Father gives me will come to me. Wow. That's how you got here, whether you know it or not. And we're going to skip down to verse 44 before we take our break, and then we'll take our break and talk about this stuff. Look at verse 44. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me 
draws them. And I will raise them up at the last day. No one can come to me unless God draws them. Therefore, do you know what happened in your life? God grabbed you by the shirt and drew you. And some of you, including me, resisted for a while, right? Some of you are nodding. Yeah. Some of you came right away. For some of you, it was very gradual tugging and eventually, okay, I'll go to church. It's so stupid. And then you go there and you go, wow. And you start crying and you realize, wow, this is what I need. He made you, listen, hungry. He made you thirsty so that when you heard the message, when you read the Bible, suddenly the bells went off and the stomach, spiritually speaking, got full to where you go, uh, this is it. Let's take our two-minute break at this pregnant point of our little talk. We'll take two minutes. I'm going to turn my screen off. I'll be right back. Don't go away. I'll see you in a minute. That. There we go. Thank you, my secretary. Sherry is her name. Find your seats, those of you that are here. Um, we left at kind of a major, what did he say? Point. So let's look at it again. Verse 37. All those the Father gives me will come to me. Therefore, did you come to him? Yes. Then, whether you knew it or not, invisibly, God, the Father, had given you to Jesus. Are you saying I didn't come on my own? That's what I'm saying. I'm saying God drew you and he didn't force you like a kidnapper or a rapist, God forbid. He woos you like a lover, if you will, right? He draws us very gently, but he also makes us, listen, hungry and thirsty, where we can really feel that empty void and that we need something, right? And he draws us to himself. All those the Father gives me. That's what the verse, the word all is the one that blows my mind more than any other word there. All of them, every single one. All of them will come to him sooner or later. And there's the other side. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Never. So we're going to see also that God not only accepts, Christ accepts us, but he holds us in his hand. None of us who really believe gets away. None of us falls off the boat, if you will. But we'll see more of that later. Um, he'll never drive any of them away. I want you to notice it, there's no qualification made in terms of unless you're really a bad sinner, then we'll have to talk, right? Because some of us are, right? There's no qualification. God gives certain people to Jesus Christ. At this time, he's given him 12 apostles, right? That Jesus has chosen, but God has given them to him. I'll show you that in a second. Um, in fact, let's go to chapter 17 of John's gospel right now. Do that with me. Go to chapter 17. Um, John 17. This will keep you awake. Is everybody still awake? Say amen so I know you're awake. Amen. All right, great. John 17. John 17, by the way, is Jesus praying and we get to eavesdrop. Usually he goes off in the mountains and prays and you go, what is he saying to God all night when he's praying? We get to eavesdrop. Father, the time has come. Here's the prayer. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all the people that he might give eternal life to all those you have. What? 
given him. Um, let's see. Glorify. Look at verse five. Glorify me with the, in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. The eternality of Jesus. Verse six. I have revealed you, God the Father. This is Jesus talking to who? To those whom you gave me out of this world. They were yours. And you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you've given me comes from you. I gave them the words you gave me. Uh, again and again in this chapter, the ones, Jesus is talking about all believers, the ones that you, Father, gave me. Now the obvious question, if you're not thinking it, you should be, is why? Why me? Why? Uh, look at this motley crew here. Look at these people on Zoom. Why? And we're not told. I can tell you what it's not. It's not, we were the holiest. We were the smartest. We were the quickest to get it when they, we heard the gospel. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Why? I don't know. It's total grace, undeserved favor right? Does God have the right to do this? Absolutely. Imagine that you are, no, that's too, we're too early for that. We'll, we'll come to that little analogy in a little while. Now you're wondering, what was he going to say? Forget it. I'm not telling you. All right. Verse 37. If you came to Jesus, here's how it happened. God gave you to him. Verse 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus and the Father are united. They never have a fight or an argument or I want to do this. No, I'm doing this. Listen, God's will is to save all of the people that he gives to Jesus. Jesus is 100% on board with that and doesn't go, I'll take everybody except Joe and Todd. Those two, forget it. He receives all of us at the Father gives us, gives him, sorry. I've come down from heaven, pre-existence. I'm here to do the will, not my will, the will of him who sent me. By the way, what does he say in Gethsemane? If it's possible, take this whole cup, this cross thing, it's freaking me out. It's going to be heavy. If there's any other way, God, take this from me. But what does he say? Not my will, but your will be done. Listen, you and I should say that every day to God. Not my will, but your will be. Here's, Lord, please do this for me. Here's what I want, but your will be done. If it's not your will, it wouldn't be the best thing, right? I've come down from heaven to do the, not my will, but the will of him who sent me. Well, what is the will of him who sent you, Jesus? Verse 39. And this is the will of him who sent me. Listen to this. That I will lose only 10% of those he's given me. Is that what it says? that I will lose none of all those he has given me, but here comes a phrase you're going to get sick of, raise them up at the last day. I'm not going to lose any of the true believers. Now that introduces a subject we're going to get into in a second. Some people get so angry about this doctrine, but it's the doctrine of eternal security. That if you are truly a Christian, you're truly saved, God's got you. There's no way you will lose your eternal life. And by the way, if you did, 
He had eternal life for 11 years and then he lost it. What? Then it wasn't eternal life. It was 11 year life, right? He will lose none of them. You say, yeah, but wait, we knew a guy that, or a gal that went to church and she was so holy and prayed and taught Bible study and worked in the nursery and painted the whole church. And she was such a saint. And now she's a heroin addict and she doesn't believe in Jesus. To that, I say that person had a said faith and never really was born again. That's the evidence because if that's true, that she was a Christian and she lost her salvation, that makes Jesus wrong here. And this is the will of him who sent me that I lose none except the chick that became a heroin addict. And that's not what it says, right? He's got you. And it's a good thing. Because if it was up to you and me to keep our salvation, we would screw it up. Right? When we believe, we believe and we have eternal life until we sin. No, it doesn't say that. When we sin, we confess our sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. I'll lose none of those that him, that, of those that he's given me. Why this phrase? But raise them up on the last day. Because it goes beyond a human lifetime. You might live 80, 90, I hope, 100, 105 years, whatever. Like some of you are going, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm with you. But if you do, that's great. And is that when the offer is rescinded? No, it's just getting started. He's going to raise up your body on the last day. Could there be a day after the last day? No. You know why? Because then it wasn't the last day. The, the last day is by definition the, thank you, the last day, right? Which is why I believe, I know we're gonna, not going to talk about it, I believe that when Christ returns, that's the rapture. Not before the tribulation, not in the middle of the tribulation. The la when do we get raised up? When the rapture, right, which is the same as the second coming. How do you know? It's the last day. Okay, sorry. Verse 40, for my father's will. Oh, good. More about God's will. Tell us, Jesus. Verse 40, for my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son or beholds the son, King James, and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up, when? On the last day. Okay, synonymous, looks to the sun. That word in Greek is not the word for look, like look over here. It's, it's a word that means, um, I have it in my notes, I'd have to find it. It, it means study intently, to really look at the Son, Jesus Christ, to really um, gaze upon him and understand who and what he is and what he did. Um, that's God's will, that everybody who looks to the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. Remember, if you lost your salvation, it wasn't eternal life. And he raised them up on the last day. Raise them up has to do with the body because some people will die. But there's a day coming when Jesus returns to the earth and will raise up everybody out of the graves that believes in resurrected bodies that will never get sick, never die, never feel pain, glorified bodies, right? Verse 41. At this, the Jews rejoiced and began to believe in Jesus. Eh, wrong. Verse 41. At this, 
the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? They know Some of them have known him since he was a little kid, right? A teenager cruising in an El Dorado Cadillac. No, I'm just kidding. Some of them have known him forever. They know his parents. How can you say he came down from heaven? And the answer is because what they think the beginning was, Bethlehem, was the beginning of the human being, Jesus, Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. But the Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, the Logos, the Messiah, had existed forever in the past. Keep your finger here and go to Isaiah 9. This is as good a time as any to do this. You say, where's Isaiah? Take a left. It's basically the middle of the Bible. You might come to Psalms and all that in the middle. Take a right if you get to there. Isaiah 9. If you can't find it, you won't get an A, but I'll read it to you anyway. Isaiah 9, 6. Isaiah is a prophet of the Jews, writes several hundred years before Jesus shows up, and he starts predicting about the Messiah here and there. And it's interesting what he writes. I want you to see that the Messiah is going to be totally human and yet fully God. You say, well, that's a paradox. I don't understand it. Me either. Verse 6, John, uh, I'm sorry, Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child, human, is born. Human, to us a son, okay, we know it's male now, good, is given. Totally human, got it. And the government will be on his shoulders, okay. He will be called Wonderful Counselor. Oh, that's nice. Mighty what? God. I thought you said it was a human being. I did. Both, two natures, mighty God, everlasting father. Now in Hebrew, it doesn't read everlasting father. It literally reads father of eternity. Okay, eternal father, in other words, or the guy that goes all the way back to the beginning and beyond, no beginning. Eternal father, prince of peace. Um, okay, go back to John. I just wanted you to see the eternality and the son of God, who's also a man, but he's fully um, God. Now I'm reading my notes to catch up. I'm sorry. Um, oh, yeah, we haven't got there yet. Okay. Um, back to the text in John 6. Are you still awake? Say amen. amen. Good one. Um, so they're grumbling connection to Moses. You say grumbling's a connection to Moses? Yes. The Jewish people were grumbling. That means complaining. That mean, it's also the nature of the word is you don't grumble to somebody. Hey, Chris, I'm grumbling at you. It's behind his back. Chris leaves the room and I go, you know, that guy's grumbling behind Jesus's back, but because he's omniscient and he knows everything, he knows they're grumbling. The Jews um, oh gosh, the battery's running low on the laptop. So I need to do this. I just saw that. Hold on one second. Technical difficulties. We'll be back in just a moment. I have to get up and do this. My battery cable somehow came out. Um, the Jews grumbled that God hadn't um, brought them out of the wilderness and saved them, you know, brought them to the promised land. And they were still waiting and waiting and waiting. Hold on. There we go charging. Yay. All right. You might want to plug your PC in. I did. Thank you. 
um, the Jews grumbled. They come yeah, three. The Jews grumbled because um, against God. They grumbled against Moses. Okay, so they were uh, constantly complaining, and they're doing it again here. So they grumbled among themselves about this eternality thing. I came down from heaven. Isn't this Jesus? They asked the question, isn't this Jesus? Let's answer their questions. Yes. The son of Joseph. No. Not really. Right? Biologically, there's no Joe chromosomes in Jesus. Joseph is the legal father, but the chromosomes are from Mary and from the Holy Spirit, right? From God. Um, so they're half right. But he is his legal father, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know. How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Do you understand? Again, what are they thinking? Regular physical stuff, bread, temporary stuff, human beings. It's impossible, right? Verse 43. Remember, they were grumbling behind their backs quietly, behind his back. Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered, verse 43. Okay, if you already were confused by verse 39, it's going to get worse now. I just want to warn you. Verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. That means if God is not drawing Harry over here, there's no possible way he can come to Jesus impossible. But what if he reads the Bible? It won't make any sense to him. Why is that? Because Ephesians 1, uh, Ephesians 2, chapter 2, verse 1, I said it earlier, we are, as unbelievers, dead spiritually. If we had a dead body here, I don't care how loud you played a trumpet or yelled, Jesus is Lord. They're not going to respond. Dead is dead. Spiritually, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. That's why we have to be born again, um, born from above. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. Therefore, you did come to Jesus. Sooner, sometime in your life, he was drawing you, right? Has to be based on that verse. Verse 45, it is written in the prophets, talking about the Old Testament, they will all be taught of God or by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. So they will all be taught of God. He's, God is talking in the Old Testament. It's Isaiah, I think it's 54, about the fact that for people to come to him, not only does he have to draw them, he has to teach them. You say, I never heard God's voice teaching me, but he was. When you were reading the Bible, when you first were coming to Jesus, he was the one instructing you through the Holy Spirit, maybe through the preacher that you heard at your church or on TV or radio or a guy with a mustache teaching a Bible study, whoever it was, God was teaching through people. And because he had drawn you, you were hungry for the bread that comes down from heaven, thirsty for the living water. And it all started to make sense to you like it never did before. Before I was a Christian, I read the Bible, and I'm telling you, it wasn't the same. It made no sense. Now I read the same portion. I go, oh, yeah, because the Holy Spirit brings it to light, illumines it. 
Um, somebody's phone went off. That means I've said one thing that was right. Okay. <laughs> First time tonight. Let's keep reading. They will all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard the father, that drawing and learned from him comes to me. Now he's going to mention verse 46. No one has seen the father except the one who's from God. He means himself. Only he has seen the father. Now you say, wait a minute. Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. Wasn't there a few people that have gone up to heaven and listen no man shall see god in the totality of who and what he is the brightness of his glory and live why because we're sinners right but jesus is saying i'm the only one that has seen god in his fullness because he was god he could look upon god that's all he's saying there no one else has seen the father except the one who's from god only he has seen the father look at verse 47 very truly i tell you the one who believes has eternal life do you believe then this verse is telling you that you won't have someday eternal life it's telling you that right now you have present tense possession, eternal life. You say, my hip hurts, my back hurts, I get headaches, I can't remember why I went in the room the other day, and I can't remember what I had for breakfast. I know all that. We're, we're living a fallen creation. We are going to get sick. We are going to die of our last disease or our last injury. However, spiritually, you already are born again, and that born againness, N-E-S-S, is eternal. You're going to live forever with God. You already have eternal life. Listen, that is the ultimate prize in the universe. Okay. What you have eternal life is worth way more than the richest man in the world, all his money, way more. Because when he dies, how much of his money is he going to take with him? None. You're going to take everything with you because you have eternal life in God who owns everything. Um, he who believes has eternal life. Remember they asked, what do we do to do the works of God? What work should we do? Spell it out for us. Believe in the one who he sent, whom he sent. He who believes has eternal life. Now you may ask, well, what does it mean to believe? What's involved in that? Right? We said knowledge, agreement, trust, <clears throat> but James, Jesus's half-brother, writes almost a whole chapter about the fact that true faith is never alone. You say, what do you mean by that? I mean, true faith is always evidenced by good works. Always. Not to earn the salvation, not to deserve it, but it always comes with it. True faith always produces in the person a hunger for righteousness, to want to be more like God. Um, Sermon on the Mount. Oh, we should go there. Matthew 5. Do it real quickly with me. We're running out of time. The teacher babbles in this Bible study. Go to Matthew 5. The Sermon on the Mount. Jesus Christ. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to boil down the Sermon on the Mount for you um, in a couple of sentences. Sermon on the Mount is the greatest um, sermon ever preached. Jesus preaches it early in his ministry. It's chapters five, six, and seven of Matthew. Boiling it all down. It's incredible ethics. It's beautiful. I'm going to boil it all down for you. Okay. God wants you to be perfect. And since you can't, you need a savior. And until you realize that, 
you're lost. I'll prove it now. Beatitudes, Matthew 5. Look at the first beatitude, verse 3. Blessed are the wealthy. No. Blessed are the poor. You mean in money? No, no. In spirit. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? It means this is the person that has come to the end of himself that has realized, I am bankrupt spiritually. Help. I need a savior. I can't stop sinning. I can't make myself good enough. That person, Jesus says, is the most blessed because they're ready to receive Jesus as a savior. When you think I'm good enough, like the Pharisees did, who needs a savior? I'm pretty righteous. I'm certainly more holy than him or her or that guy. That person will never come to Jesus. That's why it's blessed to be poor in spirit, to know that you're bankrupt spiritually. You need a savior. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, verse three. Verse four, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. In the context, he's talking about mourning over their spiritual bankruptcy. Look at the next verse. Blessed, uh, no, skip down one, six. Blessed are those who, what? Hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You know why? Because he's drawing them. He gave them that hunger. No unbeliever is ever hungry to please God, ever. If they are, they're getting the tug from God. Um, okay, back to John chapter 6. Y'all remember John 6, don't you? Um, mm-hmm. Verse 48, he says it again. I am the bread of life. We get it. He already said that, but now he's going to make a comparison. Let's compare me, Jesus says, with the manna from in the days of Moses. I am the bread of life. Verse 49, your ancestors, the Jews wandering in the wilderness, ate the manna in the wilderness. Yet they died. It's inferior. It was great all those years. They still died. The bread I give, which is myself, not a physical product, will make you live forever. The, your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here, and I think he's gesturing like this, here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. Okay, no, wait, this is new. Eat? Jesus is a person. Yes. Fully God, yes. Fully man, yes. We're supposed to eat Jesus, okay? This is a mixture in this passage of symbolic language and real physical language. He just said they ate the manna and they died. That's physical. That's all true. Now, symbolically, he says you got to eat the Son of Man, okay? The bread who came down from heaven. What does it mean to eat, okay? Here's what it doesn't mean. How many here like liver? Anybody like liver? A couple people. Okay. It's very good for you, my mother used to say. And my brother and I would go, so what? It's an organ. Okay. If you ever, if I go to your house and you serve liver, to be polite, I would probably taste it. Like, okay, I don't like it. Right. But would you eat it, Joe? No. What does it mean to eat it? Have you heard the saying, you are what you eat? Right. To eat means to take it in yourself, digest it, and make it part of you. To drink, to eat, it's fully taking it in, okay? Something about eating you need to know. It's personal. What do you mean by that? I mean, 
11 of us could go out to dinner. But the other 10 of you couldn't say, you know, Joe, we're going to eat for you. So you just relax. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Give me back my burger and fries right now. You can't eat for me. And just because your parents were Christians or your sister's a Christian, right? You can't, they, you have to eat yourself. It's very personal. What else is there about eating? You ever hear anybody say, are you hungry, Joe? No, I ate in February. So <laughs> then you're dead, right? It's July. Eating is, you continually have to keep eating. Have you noticed in the Lord's Prayer, if you make a list of every single thing that's said in the Lord's Prayer, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Everything in that whole prayer is spiritual, except one thing. And I'm going to argue, maybe even that thing isn't spiritual. The one thing everybody says, well, that's physical, is give us this day our what? Daily bread. Think of John 6. Could that mean provide for us food every day physically in the world so we stay? Yes. But could it also mean give us this day? Every day, Lord, give me another dose of Jesus in the word, in prayer, in fellowship with other Christians. Um, teach me. I, I'm leaky. I need it every day. I'm hungry for it every day. You're all hungry or you wouldn't be here. This isn't that entertaining, right? And, no dancing girls or anything. It's true. You're here because you're hungry, because God drew you, because the Father gave you to Jesus, and you didn't even know you were in a little package wrapped up, but you were. Do I understand it? No. But do I believe it? Absolutely. What's the beauty of that whole doctrine? This. You cannot look down your nose at anybody. I'm a Christian. I understood it. I came to Jesus on my own. Why can't you? What's wrong with you? It's nothing about me, right? It was all him. He saved me. In the middle of Bass Lake, I was drowning, and he saved me, right? I can't claim some credit while I was kicking and kind of helping as you were saving me. Forget it. It's all him, all his glory. That's the beauty of it. Because in the other religions that are D. Oh, do this. When you achieve that nirvana, when you achieve being a really good Muslim, you can look down your nose on people that I bow five times to Mecca and you don't. I am more spiritual than you. Christianity says you were lost and he found you. You were his, the father's, and he gave him, gave you to him. I'm getting my pronouns mixed up. Whoever eats this bread, um, let's see. Yeah, I'm the living, uh, let's see, 50. Here's the bread that comes down from heaven. Anyone who, anyone, which anyone may eat and not die. You have already, listen, crossed over. You know that? I don't feel like it. I know, but you have. Already from death unto life, spiritual life. Okay, now it's going to get a little weirder. Just warning you. This is a portion of scripture where a lot of people abandon Jesus. I just want to warn you, we'll see it next week. 51, I am the, new term, living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now, the Jews, uh, three places in the Old Testament Deuteronomy, Leviticus, and I can't remember the other one is, 
it says that the Jews are forbidden to drink blood or eat human flesh. Totally and a gross abomination. Does he mean this physically, take bite off his thumb or something? No, of course not. But if you're eating the flesh, you're eating the fact that there's a hint here about the whole key to the whole thing. I'll show you what it is. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. Okay, we got that. This bread is my flesh or body. Listen, which I will what? I will give for the life of the world. The paradox there is he's going to give his flesh, his body, his life for the life of the world. Meaning what? It's his death that he's talking about. That's the whole key to all this. If he doesn't die on the cross, if he just preaches this and people go, yes, we believe, the Holy Spirit cannot enter all those people. Why not? We still got the sin problem. Until the sin problem is covered on the cross, then the Holy Spirit can enter the clean vessels of each one that believe. Till then, all bets are off. It's all philosophy until that happens. This, the bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. He means the spiritual life. Verse 52, then the Jews began to argue sharply among, them, among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Do you see how thick they are? Just the physical realm. The, he's going to give us his flesh to eat. That, that's not enough to go around. He's not that, he needs to be really fat if he's going to feed all of us. Um, so they don't get it at all, do they? So he's going to say, and we'll end here. And it's a weird place to end, but it's where we are. Verse 53. Now it's going to get even more abhorrent to them. Jesus said to them, verse 53, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and what's he adding now? Drink his blood. You have no life in you. Remember dead in our trespasses and sins. He agrees with Paul in Ephesians 2. You have no life in you unless you eat the way I die. Blood in the Old Testament, sacrifices for blood. Blood spoke of the death of the thing. Jesus shed his blood on the cross. You ever heard that? A lot of people say, I believe in the blood. Listen, it's not just that he shed his blood. If it was just shedding his blood, he could have cut himself, shed a pint of blood, put a Band-Aid on it, and that's it. Shed blood in the Old Testament means the death of the sacrifice. Death, not shedding of blood only. It means bleeding out, dying in our place. Um, it's a paradox. We'll get to it next week. Okay. We're going to quit here because I need time to get out of here and pack up. Um, questions or comments? Anybody? You probably have a million. We're going to pick this up next week. But the shocking thing is the way that we got here. You didn't come on your own. Somebody drew you. Somebody gave you as a gift to Jesus. And that's God the Father, whose you were already. Do I understand it? Nope. But if you want to understand it all the way, ask yourself, what do you understand all the way? Anything in life. God created the world by speaking it into existence. Do you understand that? Come on. Nobody understands that. The planets, birds, fish. I don't understand it, but I believe it. I don't expect with my puny brain to understand the infinite God and all that he does and is. I apprehend it, I see it in the word, and I believe it, right? Let's pray. Father, help us. Um, 
we're so distracted with all the physical stuff, money and food and cars and houses and phones and emails and help us to see beyond the temporary to the uh, and the worldly stuff to the spiritual stuff that matters, the eternal stuff, our home in heaven with you and with our Lord Jesus. Help us to see whose acceptance really matters, yours. Help us to believe, God. Thank you that you drew us somehow. We didn't even feel it, and yet it happened, and you gave us to your son. We'll see next week that we can't lose it, that you hold us in your hand so tightly. Thank you that you're the bread of life, the thing we need more than anything that fills the vacuum, the Blaise Pascal's hole in our soul, more than anything, that you sustain everything in us. Help us to feed on our daily bread, God, by reading your word, by praying, by just communing with you and listening to you um, and fellowshipping with you and other believers, God. All the glory goes to you. That's all I'm seeing in this chapter. None of it goes to me or anybody else except Jesus. Thank you for this time, Father. Bless these truths. May they change the way we live. Bless each one here. Thank you for them, God, and for teaching this class. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Out of time, one minute late even. Thank you all for being here on Zoom. Thank you. Those of you that are here in person, make sure to say hello to someone that you don't know. That's really important. Those of you on Zoom, we'll see you next Tuesday, hopefully. God bless you all. Thanks for being here.